into the lesson for today. And as you know, uh, we've been going through this, the book of Jeremiah, and we're not technically going through the book chapter by chapter, uh, but instead we've been going through it looking at various themes that have come up uh, in the book. We started off with a chapter by chapter analysis, and that kind of gave us the overview of the life of Jeremiah. <clears throat> and then we've quickly shifted into this theme that we've been doing called cringeworthy things that God made Jeremiah do. Last time, we learned that God told Jeremiah not to marry, to, to act like a jerk to everyone, and then to blame them for his bad behavior. Today, we're going to look at some what I call cringeworthy honorable mentions. These are not things that have, uh, that th these are things that may be uncomfortable. They may even be odd that God asked Jeremiah to do, but I don't know that they quite measure up to the, to the level of what I would call cringeworthy. Like the time God told Jeremiah to preach at every entrance of the city of Jerusalem, or the time that God told Jeremiah to go watch a potter make some pottery, or the time that God told Jeremiah to smash a perfectly good jar in front of some priests and elders. Not quite cringeworthy, but odd or unusual in some ways to say the least. So there was this guy, and he was driving through a, a small farming community. And he got stuck behind a tractor on this little two-lane road. He couldn't pass. And uh, the tractor was moving slowly. And sitting on the tractor was this guy with a crazy look on his face, wild hair. And he was screaming at the top of his lungs again and again, We're all doomed. The end of the world is near. Repent. We're all doomed. The end of the world is near. Repent. And this went on for several miles. It didn't end until the man finally got to the center of the town and he was able to pull off the road and stop at a little uh, uh, convenience store and went in to get a cup of coffee while the, the crazy man on the tractor drove off. Inside, he met some locals to the town. And he told them about the crazy old guy who was riding the tractor and yelling, we're all doomed. The end of the world is near. Repent. And two of the locals sitting in the mini mart said, oh, don't worry about him. That's just old Farmer Geddon. Farmer Geddon. Armageddon. You get it? Yeah. So it's a cringeworthy joke, I know. But, you know, today we are going to talk about church change and the coming judgment. Before we do, let's pray, and then we're going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 19. Father, we pray for your blessing to be upon the lesson today. Speak to each and every one of us. Help us to open our hearts up wide to your message, to your word, and let your word speak to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that it puts before us, the stories that we can connect with, that we can understand, and that we can learn from. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Amen. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and stand at the gate of the people through which the kings of, the, the kings of Judah go in and out. 
Stand also at the other gates of Jerusalem. Say to them, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all the people of Judah and everyone living in Jerusalem who come through these gates. This is what the Lord says. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Do not bring a load out of your house or do any work on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your ancestors. Yet they did not listen or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and would not listen or respond to discipline. So the first cringeworthy thing or honorable mention cringeworthy thing that I want to talk about today is the time that God told Jeremiah to go to all the entrances to the city of Jerusalem, all the gates. Back in those days, cities had walls and there were gates that you could go in and out of the city through. And God told Jeremiah over a period of time to stand at every one of those gates and call and, and preach to the people about the importance of the Sabbath. Now this reminds me of another cringeworthy ask that God had of Jeremiah when he told him to stand at the entrance to the temple, to the, to the front doors of the church. We talked about this a couple weeks back. And he told Jeremiah to confess the sins of people as they came in. I would call that a little more cringeworthy than this one because that one feels a little more intimate, a little more personal. It's a little more specific what Jeremiah had to do there. This one, the audience is a bit bigger. These are the people who probably aren't going to church. This is just the everyday population in the city of Jerusalem. And the specific thing that Jeremiah is dealing with is the Sabbath, not so much every sin that everybody had committed the night before. My guess is, although the text doesn't say it, that it's Jeremiah probably did this on the Sabbath because that's when he would be talking to these people. And so in that way, Jeremiah made sure he offended everybody, not just the churchgoers, but everybody in the city of Jerusalem. You know, according to the Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible, the Sabbath was important for a number of reasons, including it was a recognition of God as the creator. God rested on the Sabbath day, the seventh day. It was a reminder to the people that they served and worshiped God, the creator. Secondly, it commemorated the Israelites' redemption from slavery in Egypt. When they were when they were able as a people to leave Egypt and their life of slavery and to go and become a new people. Thirdly, it was meant to be a foretaste of the messianic age, a time in the future when there would be rest from people's labor. Fourthly, it underscored what I'm calling the covenantal nature of the relationship between God and his people. Any one of these things had they been taken seriously, had the, the Judites taken these things seriously and honored them, even just one of them, let alone all of them, may have had a significant impact, may have, may have significantly stopped their tendency towards idolatry and immorality. Just remembering any one of those things can help you become more spiritual and more God-centered in your focus and maybe could, could have steered them away from some of the major mistakes they made by falling into immorality and idolatry, all of which rejected the Sabbath. What I'm trying to say here is that keeping the Sabbath 
was an integral, was integral to, the, to a healthy spiritual life in Jeremiah's day. You know, we do not live under the same covenant that Jeremiah lived. And therefore, we're not obliged to honor the Sabbath as they were obliged to honor the Sabbath. But many of the same principles that we learn in honoring the Sabbath still apply to us today. Sunday is much more than just a day to go to church. It's an opportunity for you and me to be reminded that we believe in the Creator God. Where else do you learn that than at church on Sunday? Where else in our society are you told that God is the Creator of all, overall and in all and above all? That alone, being reminded of that every week alone can significantly help your faith your spirituality, your walk with God. It also was a reminder, it's also a reminder that we too have been rescued from slavery, not to Egypt, but to our own sin. When we come to church Sunday morning, we're reminded of who we once were, of who we could be. It's also a time where we, we allow our faith to become a reality that one day there's going to be a day of rest. There's going to be a day when all of the toil and the struggle goes away. The principles of the Sabbath still apply to us today. It also reminds us of the special covenantal relationship that we have in Christ with God the Father. You know, letting go of any one of these principles will significantly deteriorate your spiritual walk. People say all the time, I don't need to go to church to be spiritual. Actually, you kind of do. It's more important than you realize. All of these things and many more are being reinforced every week. Some would argue we should go to church more often than once a week, given the nature of the society we live in and how much we're getting other messages pumped into our brains and counter messages put before us. Maybe we could use another dose of church from time to time. Letting go of any one of these principles is a slippery slope. I want to challenge us as a church, speaking to the choir. You're the ones here who, who uh, didn't take today off because we had an anniversary service last night. But I want to challenge you to, 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 to really deepen your conviction on the importance of be participating in church and being in a worship on Sunday and having that time to be reminded of these key principles of our faith. Jeremiah chapter 18, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter. So are you in my hand, Israel. 
If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended for it. So the second honorable mention, cringeworthy honorable mention, is that God told Jeremiah to go to a potter's house and watch him make a pot. The point is very, very simple. The lesson Jeremiah learned that day was very simple. God is the potter, and Israel, and all the other nations for that matter, are the clay. But I don't think that's the only point that Jeremiah walked away with that day. Because Jeremiah specifically notes that he saw the potter working with clay and then the clay was marred. It failed. And what did the potter do in that case? He reshaped the clay into a different item. He changed course, he adapted, he overcame, and he made something different. The implication of that is that whenever there's a defect with clay being spun on a wheel, it's not the potter's fault, it's the clay's fault. So I think there's a second point here that Jeremiah observed. God's intention for Judah was significantly affected by Judah's lack of attention to God. Therefore, it's well within God's right to reshape Judah in any way that he deemed necessary up to and including starting all over. Amen. You know, my understanding is that a number of you have been taking the EHS class on Thursday night that Jeremy and Stephanie Hicks have been offering. And we are incredibly grateful for the two of you to do all the work, to get invest in it, to learn it, to become trainers of it, and then bring it back to our church. We're, we're forever grateful. And, and by the way, we are going to keep this EHS program going in the new year. We're going to offer part two of the class, and then we're going to offer part one and part two throughout the years ahead, because we really want every member of the church to experience the EHS class and get in this, uh, have sort of a shared mindset about about how we interact with God and with, with each other. And we really think it's a, a valuable, valuable class. But, but I've been told by people who've been attending the class that recently you talked about walls, walls in life, points in life where you run into something and, and you just can't overcome it. It's beaten you, it's broken you, and, there's, and, and, and you're left with, what do I do in that case? Maybe you have experienced that in the past. Maybe you're experiencing it now. All of us at some point have run into walls in life that we've got to figure out how to overcome, get around, get over, get under, whatever the case may be. But what I've learned from listening to people who've gone through the class is that it's not the wall that's the issue, it's you that's the issue. Much like the clay, you have to grow, you have to expand who you are in order to overcome whatever wall you've run into. I really believe 
that this picture that I, uh, Jeremiah got of the potter working with the clay is just that. That God wants to shape us. He wants to mold us. He wants to turn us into something. And yes, there's going to be defects. Yes, we're going to hit walls. Yes, there's going to be collapses. And God's going to start over. But if we allow him, if we allow him to teach us those lessons, we can become so much greater and used by him in such a greater way than we ever could have imagined before. You know, last night at the 30th anniversary of the celebration, it was really, really great. Lots of music. Music was amazing. I, uh, I'm impressed with our friend Peter Wade, who leads our singing here. He was one of the main singers. He was uh, singing loudly and with all of his heart, and I don't even know how he has a voice this morning. My voice is cracking from just uh, singing through the, the evening, being in the audience. But uh, to see him here this morning and be able to lead the songs, and it's pretty impressive. One of the guys that spoke last night talked about the importance of godly men in his life who have helped mold him and shape him into the man he was, he is today. And he, he talked about it in the, and, he, and he framed it as discipleship. And he even encouraged us to return to discipleship if we've, if we've sort of moved away from it. Return to this mindset of, of allowing people, good godly people in our lives, men and women, to mold us and to shape us. And I think that was a great message. It was one of my favorite messages. But I want to add, I want to go a step farther in his message. I want to add that there are also times when God directly shapes us, when his hands are actually right on us. And I want to encourage you to think of discipleship not only as a man or a woman coaching you through life, but I want you to expand your understanding of discipleship is that God is actually in the process as well. He's overseeing it. He's actually the potter and he's molding you and shaping you. So the focus is not on the person, it's on God. Because when God molds us and shapes us, whether he uses a person in our life or whether he just does it through direct action, which I have experienced many times in my life, direct action of God, I got to tell you, it's way more effective. God's molding and shaping of me is by far greater than any man's molding and shaping of me. Men can help, and oftentimes their advice is good in the moment, and it helps for a time, but usually human advice, even if it's good, has a shelf life. But God's molding and shaping is by far, is, is, far, is, more, is farther reaching and longer lasting. You ask, how do I let God mold me and shape me? How do I become a, a, a lump of clay and allow him to, to build into me what he wants me to be? Even sometimes I fail and he's going to reshape me and he's going to do it again and again. But, but what does it take? What, do, what is my part in that? And here's, here's my answer. If it's true that you are the clay and God is the potter, then, then you know what your responsibility is? To stay on the wheel. That's your job, to sit there and to sit with whatever it is that God is trying to do in your life. I want to share a personal story that means a lot to me. 
As you know, I really like staying on a subject for a long time. It's just my nature. I like to stay focused. You're laughing at me, but I like to stay focused. I really believe in allowing God's word to mold me instead of using God's word and mold it into a message that I think you need to hear, which is a common thing to do oftentimes. And I'm not saying it's all that wrong. There are times where we need to talk about an issue and we go to God's word and we, we address it. But, but if you can think back over the years of Simi Church, a couple years back, we started a series called Jesus Worth Following. And I had no idea how long that series was going to go for, but it ended up going two and a half years. One series, and we parked in the Gospel of Mark. And Mark is the shortest book in the, you know, of, the, of all the Gospels. It's only 16 chapters. Two and a half years of crawling through the book of Mark. I loved it. I loved it because I sat in that text. My quiet times, my personal reflections, my, my preparation for sermons was spent in the gospel of Mark and trying to understand it as best as I could. And I promise you, we could start all over and it would be, there'd be a whole nother set of lessons to come out of that. That's how rich and deep God's word is. But my point is this, I stayed with the text. And two years into that lesson, I broke down into tears when I realized what God was saying through Jesus Christ when he cleared the temple. It was just one of the lessons. It was just one of the points in that, in that series. It was just one Sunday lesson. But because I had sat on the wheel with God in the Gospel of Mark for some two years, there was a moment where all of a sudden God spoke to me. I felt him shape me. I felt him change me. And that is permanent now. That is not going away. That is going to last me the rest of my life. What does it take? What does it take for you to let God shape you and mold you? Stay on the wheel. Don't shortcut the process. Yes, godly advice is good and godly men can give you good counsel and in the moment it can be great and it can help you you know in a, in a, in a time in a in a period of time. But it's the godly discipleship. It's God's discipleship that actually changes who we are and shapes us into who he wants us to be. God had an end in mind for has an end in mind for each and every one of us. But what it looks like is significantly affected by your willingness to be shaped, to be discipled by God. Jeremiah 19. This is what the Lord says. Go and buy a clay jar from a potter. Take along some of the elders of the people and of the priests and go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnon near the entrance of the potsherd gate. There proclaim the words I tell you and say, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Listen, I am going to bring disaster 
on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. For they have forsaken me and made this a place of foreign gods. Then in verse 10, break the jar while those who go with you are watching and say to them, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will smash this nation and this city just as the potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. Our final honorable mention, cringeworthy thing that God asked Jeremiah to do was to buy a brand new jar, probably a water jar, and then get some of the priests and the elders of the people and carry the jar out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom and smash it. Here's the point. Judah was about to get smashed by God. That's the message. That's exactly what Jeremiah was telling the people. In many ways, Jeremiah was almost institu uh, he was almost initiating the smashing. Like he was, it was the starting point, like the gun going off for the race. He smashed that jar, and it was a message that went through that group of people. You are about to get smashed by God. It's really significant that he takes him to the valley of Ben-Hinnom because it was in that place under the reign of King Manasseh just a, just a generation or two ago that Judah engaged in some of the worst idolatry and immorality imaginable, including human and child sacrifice. There was no place like the valley of Ben-Hinnom to make Jeremiah's point. You had fallen so far from God that God is now going to deal with you severely. So this is a picture of me in the 80s. My friend Teresa's on the right. And uh, you'll see a pot there, a vase. We're in Tijuana. We went down there, me and some friends, and she really liked that vase. So she bought that vase early in the day. <laughs> and I had to carry that vase around all over Tijuana and all the way across the bridge back into the US. I don't know if I walked as far as Jeremiah did with his vase to the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but I can tell you this much, I really wanted to smash that vase by the time the day was over. I was tired of carrying that vase around. It was heavy, it was awkward. Here's the point. God had carried Judah for hundreds of years through their idolatry and their immorality. And now it was time for judgment. He was going to break them because of their persistent and unrepentant sin. Regardless of what people may tell you today, God isn't finished smashing vases. There is a judgment that is coming. And every one of us are going to be swept up into it. 500 years after Jeremiah or so, Jesus came and he told a story about two tragedies. One was about some political prisoners who were executed and their blood was poured on the altar of foreign gods. 
a great disgrace to them. The other was about a tower in the city of Siloam that collapsed and killed a bunch of people who happened to be standing around the tower. And when people came to Jesus and they were like, Jesus, what do we do? What, what do we make of this? I mean, why do bad things happen to seemingly good people? Jesus doesn't answer the question. Instead, what he says is repent or you too will perish. It doesn't matter whether good things, bad things happen to good people or vice versa. None of that matters because there is a judgment coming. And all that matters is are you ready for it? In many ways, I think of us as Christians as doomsday preppers. Instead of building, but instead of building bunkers and storing food and water and ammo, we go to church. We worship the God of creation. We, we repent of our sin. We prepare for the afterlife. We embrace our covenantal relationship with God and let him shape us into the vessel that he can use for his purpose. And what is that purpose? It's to ride on a tractor with our hair crazy and our eyes bugging out and to tell our oikoses, repent. There is judgment coming. That's the purpose. If riding on a tractor is how you're going to get through to the people in your life, then do it. If you don't think that will work, then try something else that will work. I encourage you to start with love and kindness and acceptance and grace. But whatever it takes, God wants to use you. He wants to shape you into a vessel that's going to be a source of salvation to the people you care about. If you know someone, or maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure if you're ready for that coming judgment, I want to invite you to learn the ABCs. Admit you're a sinner who needs a Savior. Believe Jesus is Lord and covenant with Him at baptism. If you'd like to know more, ask the person who invited you. If you're not comfortable talking to them, I'm, I'm available in the fellowship. Come and talk to me. Because nothing matters more than being ready when the judgment comes. We're going to close out now with a word of prayer. Let's stand on up. I always want to invite you back every Sunday. Even if you're not ready, keep coming. It's going to do you some good. We'll close out with a prayer and you'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so very much for this amazing time that you've given us to come together, to worship you, to be reminded of